Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. To trust Jesus' hold on us more than our hold on him is some of what Jesus actually gets at in the scripture we'll be reading in a moment here. We are starting some time with the so-called Beatitudes that come from the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I'll say a few more words about that in a moment here. But for right now, just please join me in prayer that the words of Jesus would go deep in us to work in us, change us, reassure us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's one thing to know about you. It's an entirely, massively, enormously different thing to know you. And that's what we want as we come together here online, that we'd encounter you, not just hear about you, but know you. So, Lord Jesus, send your Spirit to open up these words of Scripture that we'd not just hear words said by a friend, but hear you and be changed by you, to know you, be loved by you. We pray because you've opened up the way to pray. Amen. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today we begin our time this spring with the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Well, not right at the beginning, chapter 5. Jesus has been born, wise men, all of that. He's been baptized by his cousin John. He spends some time in the wilderness, temptations. And then he bursts on the scene, chapter 4. His fame goes out as he begins to heal and teach. And now in chapter 5, Matthew wants to give us a sense of what it sounds like when Jesus begins to have a conversation. And I say conversation because I'm convinced that's what this is, even though we're only hearing Jesus' side of it. Just the way this is laid out and the fact that we see bits and pieces of what Jesus says here in other places, these are the kinds of things that Jesus would say as he traveled around from town to town and people asked him questions. And then Jesus talks and then people ask more questions. And so we see Jesus gathering his disciples, his apprentices, the 12, but a bunch of other people as well. He sits down, which is in the ancient world a position of authority. He, he's going to say some important things. And he begins with a word that, let's be honest, 
may not mean a whole lot to us in some ways. Blessed. Now, because blessed in English is a, a spiritual word, a religious word, we might expect the Son of God to begin the sermon with blessed. I, you know, it's the kind of thing he's supposed to say, right? But blessed is not just kind of a lightweight well-wishing, the way we typically use it in English. To be blessed in both Hebrew and Greek is to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be living a life that's worth living, to have the presence of God and the affirmation of God richly on you. One pastor puts it, it's a high five from God himself to live a life that's amazing because we've been given life from the author of life himself. But doesn't it feel a little odd that Jesus would begin this conversation, blessed, happy, fulfilled, are the poor? I mean, I grew up pretty poor through much of my childhood. I've known lots of poor people. I've lived in some poor neighborhoods. I've been in places of just honestly abject destitution. But I gotta say, in all the situations I've been in, all the people that I've met, I don't think someone's poverty has ever been the most interesting thing about a person, right? I, you know, whether it's lack of money or resources or education or anything else, I've never found that someone's lack of something was really the core part of their identity. And yet Jesus defines this blessedness, this fulfillment, this reason to be congratulated by poverty. Now, we may idealize the simple life, but the word that Jesus is using here doesn't mean uncluttered. It means destitution, abject material poverty. And I got to say, in all of the places where I have known the deepest levels of economic material lack, LA, Detroit, a couple places in Mexico, some of what I saw in Colombia, nobody chooses to be poor. Now, some people may, for a complex series of reasons, not be able to choose to do the things that would lead out of poverty. But come on, throughout history, people have run away from poverty the first chance they got. And yet Jesus essentially says, hey, are you destitute? Congratulations. You're a beggar. You know your need. You got nothing. You are blessed. And might I just say that adding the words in spirit doesn't necessarily make this a whole lot better. I mean, come on, if you were Jesus scriptwriter, would you be encouraging him to put these words in poverty, even poor in spirit? I mean, come on, Jesus, this, nobody wants to hear this, right? I mean, we can accept that some forms of poverty are simply unavoidable, material, spiritual, whatever, right? but that some kinds of poverty might be desirable, that to be poor, even in a spiritual sense, is something to be envied and sought after. It's almost unbelievable. Except that, might I suggest that anyone who has lived a life of faith for really any length of time 
has discovered this is true, at least to some degree. Right? Think of a time where life was going really, really well for you. Just things were great. Friends, family, material, everything, right? And then think of a time when you were just at the end of your rope, where you did not know where your next you know, meal was coming from, you had friends betraying you, whatever was going on, right? In which of those situations were you more prone to be crying out to God, reaching out to Him, connecting with Him, depending on Him, and having a sense of His presence with you? And might I suggest that it is precisely this felt sense of desperation for God, which is the poverty of spirit Jesus is talking about here. Throughout the history of God's people, throughout our history, when we have desperately cried out to God, those are precisely the times where we've experienced most deeply His provision for us. The reality of His kingdom built not by our efforts. See, when we were doing well in Egypt and Joseph had provided, yeah, we were, we felt God's pleasure. We felt God's providence. Uh, Joseph going ahead, feeding the family, growing, all of that was great. And then we kind of forgot until the oppression of Pharaoh grew heavy on us. Then we cried out and God freed us through the waters of the Red Sea. We thought we had it all together in the promised land. We had kings, we had armies, we were powerful, Solomon was in charge, which is when everything started to fall apart. And it's in exile in Babylon, away from our home, that we cried out to God and came back to him to recognize our lack and his abundance. And so on and on and on through the entire history of God's people and the church. It is when we have needed that we've cried out and seen the reality of the sovereign kingdom of God that cannot fail. Which brings us to this whole piece about the kingdom of heaven belonging to them. What's, what's that have to do with anything? Well, if I might suggest that us being social creatures, us needing each other, us, for that matter, needing air and water and food, which implies a functioning society to provide these things cooperatively amongst ourselves. We need a rightly ordered world for our poverty to be undone right relationships with each other as well as with God. Richard Lovelace has a quote where he, he says that in the hearts of people is a groping, inarticulate conviction that if only the right ruler would come along, the world would be healed of its wounds. We have an inbuilt longing for a world that's rightly put together. 
And that's what we have in Jesus. It turns out what we have longed for most of all, I've needed most of all, is precisely what God gives us in Jesus, our better King, our good King, the one who doesn't just rule from afar, but comes to be with us, who carries our sorrows and our diseases, who was foretold to come through the Hebrew prophets in words like these from Isaiah 57. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, Yes, I live in a high and holy place, and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit, to revive the spirit of the low and revive the heart of the oppressed. Or who says similarly in Isaiah 61, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What could you possibly build for me? I will look favorably on this kind of person, the one who is humble in spirit and who trembles at my word. You see, the kingdom of heaven is about relationship with the king and all the rest of those who are also part of his family. Which means this kingdom exists wherever the king is honored, wherever the king is trusted, wherever hands are simply open and ready to receive from this king. The kingdom of heaven is wherever hearts of love reach out to the other, wherever faith and trust overcome fear, wherever compassion overcomes apathy, where forgiveness dissolves bitterness completely away, where the king is followed and the people made whole, wherever truth wins out. And this is the way into this kingdom. The doorway into this kingdom is opened precisely by a poverty of spirit, a recognition that we in and of ourselves simply need him and each other. God has seen fit to offer us that when we come to him and give him everything that we are, he then gives us everything that he is. And so we come to him in our nothingness and our need, precisely so that then he can fill our emptiness with himself. This is what Martin Luther calls the great exchange, our need for his fullness, or as the Apostle Paul put it, that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor for us so that we in his poverty might then become rich. And here's the absolutely beautiful thing in all of this. Absolutely no one is ever going to be left out of the kingdom of heaven because they're too broken, because they're too empty, because they're too sinful, because they're too wounded, because the kingdom of heaven belongs precisely to those who are poor 
destitute in spirit. And out of these broken pieces of our lives, God assembles this beautiful mosaic of infinite beauty through the redemption of Jesus. Jesus begins this whole conversation there on the side of the mountain by offering us what we need most. Not some sort of material riches that are just going to fade away. Not a bank account, not houses, not cars, not fame, not fortune. Jesus gives us what cannot fail. Faith without limit. Hope without limit. Love without limit. And the beginning point is poverty of spirit. Friends, the invitation to us to live in this kingdom with the King who loves us is open to anyone who will simply say, Lord Jesus, I have nothing. Lord Jesus, I have nothing to offer, but you have come and invited me to receive from you. And I simply say yes. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Make me part of your people. Give me yourself. And his answer, his gracious answer is always yes. Would you please pray with me as we close our time here? God, we're all here in our mess, in our need, in our brokenness, in our confusion, in our unknowing, in our selfishness, in our ignorance, and on and on. And we simply say that we're not trying to impress you, we're not trying to make you love us because you've already settled that. But Lord Jesus, we simply say that we offer up ourselves in all of our need, our desperation, our destitution. And if you'll have us, here we are. Make us yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.